we are going to move on to our round table. So this is going to be an opportunity for uh, group participation. We've got a couple questions and what we're inviting you to do, uh, let me just do this. There we go. What we're inviting you to do is um, think about this and then to unmute yourself and give a response of some sort. So the questions for today are, what is bringing you comfort these days? And how do you feel comforted? And so just to get the ball rolling, I mean, especially since I had a chance to look at this earlier, I'm going to give uh, my own thoughts and responses on this. I've been finding what's been bringing me comfort these days has mostly been outdoors. It, I'm looking out my window. Uh, it's been the weather, especially the sunny days. And this morning, the weather was just actually perfect how cool it was. And I think for me, the way that I felt comforted, have felt comforted has been a certain amount of peace that I felt. And then something that I thought when I was thinking about this, maybe you've heard this saying, um, you can't be courageous without feeling fear. And I thought about this kind of, you know what, you can't feel comfort, comfort or comforted without something that needs comfort. And so don't know how that applies exactly to anything, but to me, it just felt like, yeah, you know what, there has to be a certain amount of discomfort in order to be comforted. So there's an extra thought. That one was free. So if you'd like to unmute yourself and add to the conversation, please do. And you can do that by chat as well. Someone may, I may pop in and say what you had to say there. I'm just going to jump in and off of that and say, I agree. The weather, like, so amazing. It's like, almost like you just feel relieved of something when you go outside for me and feel the wind on my face or the warmth of the sun. And then to take it one step further, it's totally free. Like anybody, everybody can have this. And it just makes me feel so like cared for, like the collective this is a caring thing that God, the universe, is just pouring out on us. And ah, it's just wonderful. So, there. Yeah. yeah, I like that. You're putting into words some things I was feeling. Love it. Any other thoughts out there? Someone added by a text just now that people, the presence of caring people brings immense comfort for me. I think we, uh, we recently had a newborn baby. She's just a little over a month. So, We've been, uh, yeah, enjoying some some baby snuggles and, um, yeah. So there's been a lot of comfort in that. And I think uh, for me, I won't speak for Devin, but yeah, I just um, I've been having lots of like quiet uh, prayer, and I felt like for a season, I felt like I felt a bit of a disconnect from God, and I felt 
just a, a, a general piece like lately in, in just feeling um, intent and in knowing that God's shoulders are big enough for my questions and for the things that I don't understand. And um, as I navigate my way through a journey and I felt like that's been, yeah, he's been comforting me in that, just knowing that he journeys with me and that, um, yeah, I guess that come as you are. So that's been good. Brilliant, thank you. You know, I struck by. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll just tag on. I think um, for me, after um, being, it's kind of like maybe it's like a negative positive, if that makes sense. But uh, I was in ministry for the I think the last five years or something, and I think just um, I just recently uh, left that. Uh, not on bad terms, but it's been so um, comforting uh, because I always was feeling like, you know, everybody was like judging everything I said and did um, to the point where I didn't get to ever really feel uh, authentic. So it just, it's really comforting to be able to just kind of just be myself, I guess, um, in some ways. And uh, that's been really nice. Okay. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. Good. I just want to say congratulations. How yeah. exciting a new baby. Yay. Ooh. Enjoy. <laughs> She's napping right now or else we give you a peek. But, but Devin might pick her up too if we can give you a peek at her cute sleepiness. <laughs> oh, there we go. Oh. Yay. Aww. Beautiful. <laughs> Look at her. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Anyone else? Thanks, Dad. Dropped your suit. I was just thinking there's an interesting symbiotic thing when you said you're you've got this new baby and you're holding this new baby. And my first thought was you're comforting the baby. But it's like, yes, and there is comfort coming back too. That's interesting how that works. All right, last chance. Great, well, thank you very much, everyone. We're gonna move on to uh, Sylvia, who is gonna be doing communion now. So if you haven't grabbed something to eat or drink and you want to be a part of this, you want to be, or today feels like the right day for this, go grab something to eat or drink. Coffee works. Let's pass it off to Sylvia. morning. Um, I'm Sylvia. If you haven't met me before, my husband, Nathan, and I'm on staff here at the bridge as the administrator, and I'm going to lead us through communion this morning. And just want to say that you are all welcome here. And as a leadership team here at the bridge, when we talk about our value about including everyone, we often use the metaphor of, of setting a table and how we want to set our table wide and for everyone. So here in communion, we've set our table wide as well to include you. And um, just to share a bit, 
um, my experience of communion was very different in the very traditional and uh, conservative Christian tradition that I grew up in. And there were there were a lot of rules about communion and uh, mostly about who could receive communion and who couldn't. And I actually didn't participate in communion until I was 16 years old because in the church I was in, you had to be baptized and be accepted as a member of the church before you were allowed to take communion. And, um, you know, they even had a separate communion service that you only went to if you were allowed to come to, to have communion. And, and I remember as a teenager wondering kind of how this kind of strange separate secret ritual really applied to me and, um, and didn't understand it really. And I moved on from that church community as a young adult and, um, we've been a part of, you know, different experiences of communion for sure since then. But, um, when Nathan and I joined the bridge, just right at the very beginning, when it started, we had really young kids. Our kids were, I think, one, three, and five when we started there. And I loved how Sarah would um, make the kids a part of things. And uh, she would either bring the kids into the grown-up church so that we could do communion as a family if we were doing communion in the grown-up church. Or the kids would have communion and bridge kids with their water and their cookie snack or whatever. And um, I really love that. Anyway, point being um, how lovely it is to be in a place where we can all participate in the communion meal if we want to, um, wherever we are at in place of our journey with Jesus, um, just to remember how he showed us his love for us. So for today, I want to read some of a liturgy that's taken from a communion liturgy for the whole people of God by Lydia Smith. And the first line of this liturgy is holy mystery that is holy love. Um, but I realize I want to actually show you the words because it's holy. It's not H-O-L-Y holy. Anyway, uh, because I didn't think of it in time to make a slide, I have a super high tech way to show you. <laughs> so here we go. So when I read holy mystery that is holy love, it's W-H-O-L-L-Y, love, because that's kind of cool. So there we go. That's my high-tech stuff right there. So holy mystery that is holy love. You are beyond complete knowledge, above perfect description, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, source of life, living word, and bond of love. You are creative and self-giving, generously moving. In all the near and distant corners of the universe, nothing exists that does not find its source in you. Even when we turn away from you, you are with us. Your presence never fails us. Your gifts of hope and new life transform us. It is Jesus, God incarnate, the risen Christ, who joins us together as a community of broken but hopeful believers. Loving what he loved, living what he taught, and striving to be his faithful servants in our time and place. In this meal, we remember Jesus, his promises, and the price he paid for who he was, what he said, and what he did. So if you have your communion elements, 
on the night before Jesus died, he took a loaf of bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, take and eat. Whenever you do this, remember me. After supper, Jesus took the cup and poured and said, this is the new covenant. Remember me. We do remember. We remember his life of love, his friendship, his teaching, his dying, and his rising to life again. And I'm going to pray for Sarah, Eden, and Karina. I think they're going to appear on screen with me. There we go. Thank you, wonderful tech people who can make that happen. So thank you, God, for Sarah, Eden, and Karina. We are thankful for these three who pastor our community so well. So bless them as they speak this morning. Amen. Amen. I'm going to kick it off with an intro, and then the other two are going to take it away. So uh, let me get this thing going. We value lots of different voices at the bridge. Eden and I counted up how many people we had speak this last year, and I think it was 20 different voices. And we hope to continue that into this year, too, as more of you step up to the mic, literally or metaphorically. So in a multi-vocal approach like this, we are deliberately steering us away from the expert at the front. Um, the idea that there's one person who has all the knowledge and or all the authority and to try and find the wisdom and the insight in all of us. So we are a community where everyone is welcome to bring their gifts, their talents and their unique perspective as we bring our whole selves to the party. Our hope is that we will be richer for the multitude of ways of thinking about, understanding, experiencing, knowing, loving, and following God as we've seen through all of our different lenses. So that's the theory of why we want to do uh, what we do and why Eden or me or Karina are not the only voices that you hear over the span of a year. But we're gonna push that to another whole level today by having three voices all on the same few verses. The three of us, uh, Eden, Karina and I, are going to have a go at tackling one passage from our lectionary texts for today. We agreed on the one passage that we would focus on, but from there we have not conferred. So uh, <laughs> we can take it in whichever direction we like and we could all repeat each other or we could all be totally contradictory. Um, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, we'll see what happens. So we're going to have six minutes each. We have all timed ourselves, so hopefully we will be on the money. And I just have one request of all of you, and that is that you don't scorecard us. Okay, so no, you know, I give this one a 10, I give this one a two, none of that stuff. Okay, no scorecarding. Um, I'm sure you'll probably resonate with either one or more of us as you listen, but please try not to rank in order or, um, or judge us. <laughs> It's kind of vulnerable, I think, to, to have all three speaking at the same time. feels like, ooh. Okay, but our aim is that this is a conversation, not a competition. So our theme this year, as if you haven't gathered already, is Blessed are the Peacemakers. And I'm really hoping that this multivocal approach helps us find a way 
to peace with scripture, um, seeing that there are different ways of reading, understanding and exploring passages that we look at. There is not one right interpretation. And because we haven't conferred on this, I imagine we're about to get three different takes on today's passage, as we are three quite different people. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm going to read the passage first, and then we'll let Karina go first. Eden will go next, and then I'll go. And then after the three of us have had a little chance to interact a little, we'll open it up for your voices too, so that we have our regular Q&R, and you can add your perspective and thoughts as well. So hopefully that all makes sense. And here's the passage. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. What happens to believers who have died? Brothers and sisters, uh, we don't want you to know... Oh, sorry. Let me try again. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know what happens to those who die. We don't want you to mourn as other people do. They mourn because they don't have any hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. When he returns, many who believe in him will have died already. We believe that God will bring them back with Jesus. This agrees with what the Lord has said. When the Lord comes, many of us will still be alive. We tell you that we will certainly not go up before those who have died. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. We will hear a loud command. We will hear the voice of the leader of the angels. We will hear a blast from God's trumpet. Many who believe in Christ will have died already. They will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. We will be taken up in the clouds. We will meet the Lord in the air. We will be with him forever. So encourage one another with these words of comfort. And so with our overarching theme of blessed other peacemakers, Karina, have at it. Right. So, <clears throat> hello. Um, cool. My first thought when I read this text and my text, uh, it's the same text, but they get translated differently, right? Between all the versions. But the first thought when I read this was like, oh yeah, the world. Like they're the worst when it comes to, to grief. The version I said, do not grieve as the world grieves. And I started thinking of all the ways we make things weird when it comes to grief, lament, sorrow, death. You know, we avoid, we suppress, we ghost the grieving. We think we have to solve it and make it make sense in a sentence or two. And I was like, oh yeah, the world. But then I thought, um, wait a second, whose world are we talking about? Because these words were written to the church in Thessalonica, which is in Greece, not the Western world. And it was written in the first century, not 2022. So I got curious about grief in the first century Greece. And there were a lot of customs around death and grief. There was body preparation and processions and feasts and loud lamentations, like literally weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth were requirements. It was an opportunity to flex power status, wealth, family, to extol the virtue imagined or real of the one who died. But really, why were they doing these rituals? And it's because among other things, the people needed to appease the gods and do everything they could in their power as the living ones to prevent the ones they loved from being sent to the underworld. So in the verses that comes before this text, Paul talks about how great the church in Thessalonica is at love. Paul says, you are nailing it when it comes to love. You rep Jesus well here and keep it up. But also friends, I see that you're scared. You've stepped onto a runaway train when it comes to grief. And it makes sense. The world 
the water you're swimming in is telling you that gods have to be appeased or there will be suffering, not just in this life, but in the life to come. But remember, God isn't like that. Jesus showed us God is with us. And did you know that we translate in different ways the, the text that says caught up in the air? In, in the original Greek, it was likely an invitation to remember that God was coming down to be with us in our air, in our air not to take us up somewhere different. I think Paul is reminding them that nobody gets left behind with God because God is love. And remember, church, you know what love is, so grieve with hope. And I wonder if we aren't naturally given to dualistic thinking, this or that, or this for that. And without self-awareness and reflection, we default to transactional thinking. In first century Greece, grief was a transactional expression to keep them from suffering in the underworld. That's not genuine grief. It's really anxiety and self-protection. So if the early church grieved with anxiety, I think our current context, we often hope with anxiety and self-protection from an angry God. Humans are kind of predictable, no matter what era. Hope can become a transaction to stifle grief and appease God. Like, I'm a good girl, and I remembered you will save me in the end. Nothing to cry about here. Nope, I'm trusting. See? No tears. If our hope feels like I hope we're the ones God is going to take to heaven. And I hope I don't get punished. I don't love that journey for us. That would be like, ew, Paul. But I think, I think that Paul is saying, remember Jesus. He showed us how to grieve with hope. And in the story of Lazarus, found in the book of John, Jesus demonstrates how we can be human and divine, how to pull them together, how grief works in concert with hope. Let me explain. No. There is too much. Let me sum up. Oh. <laughs> he says this to his friends. He says, this isn't going to kill Lazarus, but Lazarus is dead, really dead. Okay, confusing Jesus. Um, but we need to go be with our friends. Their pain is more important than our safety. And he meets Martha and they get all up in their heads talking about what they know is true. But that doesn't change the fact that Lazarus is dead. Then he sees Mary weeping. And I think he learns from her example and is drawn into connection to his body and what his body is experiencing. And he is troubled and he weeps with her. And remember, he knows what is going to happen. And yet he weeps. Then Jesus prays, thank you, God, for hearing me. And I don't think he's only saying, thank you, God, for listening to my words and my thoughts and doing the miracle. I think he's saying, Thank you, God, for hearing my grief. And I'm saying this not just for my benefit, but for my friends. I want them to know you're with us too in this grief and that resurrection is your way. And Lazarus was raised and maybe they were all a little more remembered to themselves, to one another and to God. And that is where I'm putting my money on how grief and hope works together. And I think that matters. We have an epidemic of unexpressed grief in our society. Unexpe unexpressed grief causes bodily grief and sickness. It causes societal grief and harm. And we need to find a way to allow grief to be honored well, not just in our thinking, but in our, in our bodies and in our expression. Maybe it's that honoring and expressing it without shame and within the safety of love and connection that never leaves, that waters the seeds of hope. 
Hope isn't a remedy for grief. It's the midwife. Can we trust God with our grief? Because God's not angry. God is love. Grief doesn't separate us from God. It brings us into union with God. And that's very good news for all of us. Amen. All right. Um, yeah, so we're not starting in the easy end. Um, but this was what the lectionary had for us. And each of the passages, not just the one that, that Sarah shared with us, but also the other three, um, are embracing uh, loss, grief, and lament in some form. So I'll be straight up with you right from the start. I don't know how to lay this passage out in a six minute time frame or even in a 36 minute time frame either. So I'm going to zero in on something that came up for me as I read it that I hope is relatable for you as you listen. Uh, as human beings, we really aren't very good at mystery. Just go into a bookstore or a library and check out the mystery section. It's usually massive. That's really a misnomer. That section should actually be called the solution section because we wade through the mysterious possibilities in a book with the sole purpose of finding out the solution to the mystery. And Many of us can even feel ripped off, maybe it's just me, if we watch a movie or read a book that doesn't give us a clear indication of who did it or what happened explicitly. So when it comes to death, we are looking for answers. How a person can be alive one moment and then gone the next is mysterious. How we experience the presence of an individual before and after death is mysterious. What happens to a person at death is mysterious. We are desperate as humans to understand this particular mystery. So how do we find peace and make peace right in the middle of mystery? Is it possible to come to terms with just not knowing something? Is there a place for us to land in the middle of mystery that doesn't solve the questions, but does give us an understanding? What I want to share is not about solving the mystery of death and what happens afterward. We are stuck with that mystery. What I do want to show you is that we do not go into the mystery alone. From Psalm 139, we learn this about God. I look behind me, and you're there. Then up ahead, and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much. It's too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? to be out of your sight. If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. 
If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. <gasps> no, you're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, they even see me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you, God. My own lived experience confirms this passage to be true. I can't explain it. It's mysterious, but I feel it and I know it. And there's this resonance deep within, and it brings me great peace and allows me to make peace with the difficult circumstances and losses in my life. So I reason that if this is true now, why would it not be true in the future? Romans 8, 38 and 39. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. And we could add, certainly not mystery. Paul continues, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus has embraced us. Our losses and our grief, the mystery surrounding death and life after that, our confusion and discomfort with a lack of answers is not removed or somehow distanced from the presence of God. The one who created us is there with us, with all our questions, with all our fears, in all our sorrow and loss. God is with us and brings us peace in the mystery. Amen. Oh, that's good. All right. My go. So the words that jumped out to me as I read this passage were, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. God will bring those who have died already back with Jesus. And then jumping down to the end, encourage one another with these words of comfort. I'm glad that Paul's aim was to bring comfort because I came away from reading what Paul wrote about loud voices, trumpets, dead people rising, all that upward downward direction stuff and all the events and things in that passage with the question, really? Like, did you really know all that, Paul? 
seems to me like he was piecing together little ideas, like he maybe got some ideas from the Spirit of God, maybe he got some ideas from the Old Testament prophets, but did he really know what was going to happen? Whether he's accurate or not about what actually happens, his intent was not to lay it out blow by blow, but to bring comfort to those who mourn, because he believed that Jesus died and rose again, and that is the part that matters. I don't want to talk about the big D deaths. Um, I want to talk about the little D deaths, the things that die along the way, not the capital D heart stops beating. All you can do is go through their pockets and look for loose change kind of death. And we've had a couple of um, Princess Bride references in the chat already. <laughs> it's funny that that was I had it already. Um, we all experience little D deaths along the way. We might experience the death of a dream or an idea, or a job, or a relationship, or our health, or our heart, ideal, our ideals, or what we believed, our, our certainties, maybe all of the above, maybe more. All of those things can die along the way, and many of them should, because growing things change, and changing things grow. I believe that the things that die in us get resurrection too. They're raised up to look a little different, maybe, but even if the things that die never see the light of day again, even if they die, we are raised up like Jesus with our scars and everything. Um, Nadia Bolsweber did a communion service at the Evolving Faith Conference back in 2019, which is a quick plug to join us this year. Um, if you want to listen to her message, it is on the Evolving Faith podcast, season two, episode 16. I was tempted just to read you the whole transcript, uh, but um, do go have a listen. Anyway, I heard her say this in there. Um, we could use some resurrection up in here. We could use something a little more powerful than our virtues, a little more reliable than our wokeness, a little more helpful than our attempts to just try harder. I've tried trying harder. It doesn't make me free. It just makes me tired. Was like, boom. Resurrection is the power of God in us to do something different to be changed, to live again. It's not trying harder. It's not doing better. It is God stepping into the devastation with us, like Eden just said, and saying, now live. Lauren Daigle has a song called Power to Redeem. And uh, the verse of it goes like this. You take what is and you make it beautiful. When love floods in, we're restored forevermore. With breath that brings the dead to life, with words that pierce the dark with light, only by the blood are we set free. With mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree, you alone hold the power to redeem. Jesus died and rose again, and his resurrection means that he can take what is in me, in you, and make it beautiful. That is the comfort of resurrection, taking what is and bringing it to beauty, bringing it to life and bringing it to light. I want to briefly just tell you about two little D deaths that God has carried me through from what is to what is beautiful in their very careful hands. Um, I trained as a teacher. I loved teaching. It was stupid hard as a job, but in the kind of schools that I worked in, it was also very rewarding. I had fantastic colleagues and I loved it. But time came for an adventure, long story short, and I quit my job and moved to Canada. The way the system goes, despite 11 years of teaching experience, I wasn't qualified to teach here. And so my much loved career died. 
I could have made up the courses I was missing. And I did actually get two of the five completed. But then the bridge started and they offered me a job and asked if I would work for them and got me a visa to work. And here we are 16 years later. It was the death of teaching, but the birth of something else. That resurrection has been a joy that I had boundless energy for. And I have had a very great pleasure of seeing many wonderful kids grow up and even a few adults grow a little too. I've always kept teaching in my back pocket as something that I could go back to if the whole pastoring thing went sideways. However, I've had to let that idea die too, because the other little D death is my energy system. It was taken out by a virus in 2014 and has never gotten back up to speed again. This was a death that has brought a ton of other little D deaths that I could write a book about. But for today's purpose, how is God resurrecting me through all of this? If God never resurrects my neuroimmune system, which they could, but haven't yet, how am I resurrected through this changed body? I don't have the boundless energy of my eight years ago self, and I mourn her passing. If you didn't know that version of me, I'm sorry you never met her. Resurrection looks has made this look different. Um, resurrection looks like learning patience with myself and with others. I wasn't super patient before because I could just get it done. It looks like compassion. It is the increased ability to listen and be present and to suck the joy out of the small things. Resurrection is learning the hard, hard lesson of acceptance while still holding on to hope and lots of other things that I don't have time for. So where is my comfort? It is in God who takes what is and makes it beautiful and is in it with me at every step. I take comfort because Jesus made resurrection possible. And resurrection is not this disembodied life in some midair heaven, but a re-embodiment so that we live now with and for God from today on. Jessica Cantrew Witz, Witz, I don't know how you say her name, uh, said, it has never helped me to think positive, if that means denying real grief. Those feelings need to be expressed. There are truly sad, hard things in life, but there are beautiful things too. Acknowledging the pain makes more room for joy, not less. So there you have it. We all experience little D deaths in our life. And because of Jesus, we can experience a resurrection through them too. I'm curious if you can identify little D deaths in your life and the resurrection that has come through their passing. So how has God taken what is and made it beautiful in you? All right, I'm going to invite Eden and Karina back in. All right, then. So we got away with it. Pretty miraculous, really. It's a mystery <laughs> how we all got it done in six minutes. Good job. Good job. I, I, I wanted to just say, for some reason, there's an echo. Uh, okay. I just wanted to say that... Um, I recognize in my um, friends here this morning, Sarah and Karina, that um, they're coming to the place that they have come today has definitely come with the expense of deaths along the way. And that I am super proud of them 
for um, for rising up and resurrecting from those uh, those prior deaths. And I love working with you guys so much. One of the things that I um, got out of what Karina was sharing um, and appreciated was that nobody gets left behind. And um, that's, that's made a big difference for me. And then that hope is not the remedy that it's the midwife. That is going to take a little bit of time to unwrap, but I loved that too. And Sarah, I love that line as well. Yeah. And, and Sarah, just you talking about the small D deaths, which um, can be quite traumatic all on their own. It's, it's not that it's a lesser, it's just a different kind, right? But um, even if those things die, some of those things like dreams and jobs and relationships and ideals, we can still rise up. And uh, that that's encouraging for me today, especially. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, I, I loved, Karina, what you said, that, that hope is not a remedy, but the midwife. I was like, oh, that's such a great line. That should probably be a T-shirt. Um, <laughs> and that grief brings us into union with God. I was like, that's right. I and mean, we need to experience the whole of everything. Mm -hmm. And if we don't experience grief, we can't, like full grief, then we don't experience full joy. Yeah. Like that's, it's part of being human. Um, and we can try and kind of squash and hide all of that stuff, but it yeah. yeah, it doesn't work. And um, uh, Eden, one thing you said, one line that again needs to be a t-shirt is nothing phases us because Jesus loves us. I was like, oh yes, that's right. Nothing phases us because Jesus loves us. That was great. That's cool. Thanks. Yeah, that was, this was, this, I know like, I was like, what, what are we all going to say? What are we all going to do? And it was lovely not to be like, oh, we all agree with one another. And and yet there is this beautiful underpinning of like, God's here. Like we're not separate. And I think that this particular passage, for me at least, was used to confirm a lot of separation. Like it will be the ones who are, you know, God's favorites or the ones who, and instead just the reminder that whether it's like the way of life is participating in life, death, and resurrection. And the more we're able to say yes to those little deaths that, that come into our world, the more we experience resurrection. And, and the more we lean into mystery, the more we're brought into this grounded knowing that like Jesus is with us. And so it's like, well, I guess whatever it is, it, we can go through it. And um, I just love those reminders from, from you. And I just, like, I, I was a little, we, I think we all had our little bit of nerves, like, of how is this going to work out? But I was like, I can't wait to do this again. Like, it, it just to hold those different perspectives and, and, kind of, it just feels like a really good practice of, of reading something. It's really experiencing it in community in a new way. So I love that too. Mm -hmm. I'd love to invite some other people to do it too. I mean, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah, that would be great. Yeah. So let's just settle for a second. Um, uh, maybe we'll just have like 
one minute's quiet just for us to regroup. Uh, if if you're here, you know, and you haven't been hanging out with us for a very long time, or you know, you're fairly new. Um, I think you are getting the idea that we are entirely okay with you um, being in grief, having dreams that have died, um, and, and all the things that <clears throat> can burden us. And we're not asking you um, to come and join us when you've taken care of all of that stuff. We're not asking you uh, to drop your bags at the door before you come in. It's like, no, you know what? Drag it all in here because if it can't get sorted here in some way, I fear that you'll just be dragging it around for the rest of your life. And so if we want to uh, look at our baggage, um, harm done to us or things we've done to others, um, death and grief and mourning and mystery and all of these things, um, I think we have a better chance doing it together. And, um, and so um, please take this as an invitation, whether you want to um, sit down and have a conversation uh, with, with one of us, or um, you want to take some time to share it with a group or whatever, please like just let us know. Uh, we're more than um, happy to sit with you in that. We're not afraid of it um, because we do know that God is with us in the middle of this, that Jesus as a human experienced all of this, and he knows how we are in the midst of all of this. And he's not confused by our grief or our sadness or our desire to know things that are mysterious. So please um, reach out. Um, if you go to our website, which I should know, I think it's the bridgeonline.ca. Am I right? That's right. Sarah? You got it. Oh you nailed my it. goodness. That is a mysterious <laughs> thing that I remembered that. Anyways, um, um, I think our contact info is there. At least you can get a hold of the office and um, emails will be passed on to us. So um, please, we invite you if, if that's something that's important to you or you, you need that. Um, you can do that. And I'm just going to pray a blessing over you all as we head into this week. And um, may you go with our God who walks with us right into the middle of the mystery of our lives. Go in peace. Amen.